After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Hey, you got the power play. Get out of here. Hey. 36, right here for the rock. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Hey, hey. We're not doing this. I don't want to babysit all night. A little bit of nastiness today. Huh? Nothing good's coming out of this, big man. Have you seen this before? Yes, it's rule something, point something. He's not putting a stick in you. You keep your stick out of him. Here we go. Let's roll, boys. Let's go. Hey, 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 hey. Let's go. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. When you're ready, big guy. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. It's the Stanley Cup playoffs. The second round is underway. It's the excitement. It's the drama. It's the fan chance that got started right away, Josh. I think maybe because I was watching New Jersey. <laughs> Ref, you suck. Ref, you suck. I heard it clear as day right away, right at the start of the series. I know the fans are frustrated, but you're not going to make any friends by bashing the officials there. Having 20,000 people calling down on you, it's not going to make your opinion change in a positive way for the team. You, you want a break, maybe take it easy on the guys a little bit. And you know what? In a second, I'm going to tell you a way that one team is trying to be a little more personable and less confrontative. In, is that a word? Yeah. Confrontational. We'll go with it. You know, English is a second language. It's fine. So <laughs> this is the Scouting the Rest podcast, as you probably determined by now. He's Josh. I'm Todd. Follow us on our social media channels. Get Josh for all the good stuff at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports again on Twitter and Instagram. On this week's episode, Sam Bennett opens the wallet. Truba runs over Meyer. Eberly runs over Cogliano. And does anybody have any feelings about the officials? I think there's maybe a discussion point or two that we might get into on this one. So just before we go too far, and because you're talking about trying to be a little more friendly towards the officials, we've discussed a few times that teams will put the number and names of the officials up on the bench so that they know who they're talking to. Noticed in Game 2 of the Toronto Maple Leafs and Florida Panthers series, Paul Maurice and the Panthers only had the first names of the officials listed with their number. So they're referring to them by their first name, not calling them by their surname. And I think that's a little more respectful. They're going for the personal touch there. You know, it's a... You want to call them by their first name, make it feel like you're comfortable. You can have a chat, maybe get the benefit of the doubt, like your old pals having a pint at the bar or something, you know, just uh, instead of Macaulay, you want to just call Wes over and have a little chat. Right. right? I, I, I think it's I think it actually is a, a better way, you know, provided you don't begin it with a, a, a four letter F-bomb or something <laughs> like that. But I, <laughs> I think that's I think that's a better way to initiate the conversation with the referees or linesmen. It's a nice start. You want to get the benefit of the doubt. You you want to address them personally. It's a little bit harder since they took the names off the backs, obviously. But going that step further for the first names, I, you know what? Any benefit you can get, any break you can get, any positive consideration or goodwill you're hoping to get out of it. Hey, why not? And, uh, you know, Maurice knows how to work the officials. He knows what he's doing there. He's, he's certainly become uh, quite the expert over his many years. Okay, so let's talk about a Florida player, Sam Bennett of the Florida Panthers, who's paying a $5,000 fine for cross-checking in game number two against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I would I would definitely say that Sam Bennett got his money's worth for that cross-checking offense. 
Yeah, I'm not sure if he got 5,000 for the one cross check or if it was 2,500 per cross check because he had <laughs> two solid ones there on Michael Bunting. The, the first one being up high or possibly in the head area, which nothing good's coming out of that. Even if you're going for his shoulder up high, even if you didn't intend to get him in the head, that's not a hockey play. That's not anything good that's happening. You're not getting position. You're trying to get the guy up top there. And that's what he did. So the first one gets him in the head. And then while Bunting's down, another one to the lower back. It was a couple cheap shots. Bennett is, is slowly and sneakily getting under the skin of the Maple Leafs here, but a, a well-deserved fine for both. Not quite the level of a suspension, but I don't know. Go for a couple more penalties there. He definitely deserved two minor penalties on the play, not just the one that he was assessed. Well, and this is one of the things that we'll get into as we move through this edition of the podcast is consistency and where calls go. Because I have seen similar cross checks receive more severe penalties, a.k.a. a suspension. And I'm, I'm becoming less and less fond of this. Well, it's a playoff game versus a regular season game. It's either a suspension or it's not. Yeah, I know we've talked about the value of playoff games and we've seen it in the types of suspensions that player safety has handed out that there's additional value put on a playoff game. But you don't ever want that to prevent a suspension from happening, right? If it's a suspendable offense, it should result in a suspension. Now, maybe you only go one game instead of two. I can get behind that. But to not have a suspension for something where we're looking at a cross check to the head is a little surprising. I know playoff games are worth more, but it's even more important to keep a clean game out there and to not let players get away with it. It's it's like we say with the officials. You want to let them play, but when you decide to cross-check a guy in the head, you decided to do that. That's, that's not player safety, and it shouldn't be player safety keeping a guy in a series. They should be saying a cross-check to the head is a one-game suspension. Sorry. Have a seat, Sam. There was an incident in this same game with Matthew Nyes of the Maple Leafs where Sam Bennett received no punishment. That would be the one behind the net where, uh, what would you say, it looked like the uh, roping and wrangling <laughs> category at the rodeo where he uh, he bulldogs him down to the ice? Yeah, I think that's a good one. Someone else called it a rock bottom. So whatever WWE <laughs> move of your choice you want to put in there, that one... That's a tougher one. It's not as clear cut. I mean, obviously, the cross check, we can see what's going on here. You've got two guys going into the boards and it looks like Bennett's trying to avoid the hit. But then he's trying to put knees into a tough spot there, drive him into the glass and, and take advantage of hitting him. I don't know how much was spur of the moment, just two guys tangled up as Bennett's trying to deliver a body check. But the, the takedown afterwards looked like a penalty to me. I uh, yeah. Again, I don't know if this is player safety worthy, but I think when you're however you're putting your hand around a guy's upper body, chin, neck and dragging him down to the ice, it's, it's probably two minutes. Yeah, I'm not sure. You could probably put it into a number of different categories, but sure. I, I think that's worth worth two in the box. And but again, it's got to be it's got to be seen by the officials. And you were pointing out one or two calls in a game that were not seen by officials to be penalized. And maybe they should have in the Jersey Carolina game, one that afterwards led to a goal by Jordan Martinook, which was a helmet getting ripped off because the player had to leave the ice. And that puts you shorthanded in a sense. It absolutely does. And players know that. And, and there's no way Martinook isn't aware of that. And that's why when you go into the corner, you've got a bunch of guys in there. All of a sudden the helmet comes off. A guy has to change. But it is a roughing penalty. Rule 9.6 requires that a player who removes another player's helmet picks up two minutes for roughing. But like you said, Todd, you've got to see it. So when you've got all those bodies coming in and people battling for the puck, it's hard for the officials, depending on where their position and what their sight lines are, to see if the helmet came off just as the natural course of body contact and battling for the puck or if it was intentionally taken off. And of course, the, the replay that we see, the angle that's higher up, it appears that Martinook is 
making one move with his arm to pop that helmet off. So I, again, I think he knew what he was doing on the play. I think he knew it would make the opposing player have to leave the ice and give them an advantage. So it's just one of those moments where there's not much you can do when it comes down to a positioning line of sight for the guys on the ice. But afterwards, or with the replay angle that we're afforded there, yeah, a little more, a little more suspicious, a little more likely to be called a penalty if they could see that. Same difficulty exists with a, a high stick that Jack Hughes received. It was a stick that accidentally popped up and caught him. But again, it's it could have been a penalty if it was called. But there was an interesting one that you caught had to do with a face-off offense that is rarely called but is an offense. Yes, the dreaded face-off violation that we see and happened at, at Carolina Devils there where the face-offs won by Carolina and it looks like the player winning the draw removes his hand from his stick, takes his left hand and doggy paddles the puck back to a teammate. It was a clean face-off win. It was also an illegal one because that is two minutes for a face-off violation. It's totally different than the regular hand pass rule when it happens on a face-off. And, and that was a recent rule change that the league instituted. Again, it's a hard one. I mean, linesman Scott Cherry, veteran official right there on top of the play. Hard to tell what he's seeing with where the players are and if his view's obscured by the, the players' backs as they're battling for the puck down on the ice. So totally get where he's coming from. But once again, we get the benefit of that camera angle from the side that appears to show the hand come off the stick and push the puck back, which is two minutes. This will sound very strange, but sometimes the closer you are to a play, the more difficult it is to see. And I'm not saying that to be flippant or, or smart. It's true. It's because, as you described, you do not have the best angle. You see the hand pass because it's at an angle away from the play and down low. And Scott Cherry has a very different look at that play. Absolutely. Cherry's right on top of it. You have the other linesman outside of the zone. And we see that even with officials making their calls. The referee down low isn't always the one that makes the call. If he's focused on the net, you might have the guy outside the blue line who has a better sight line for what's going on, even if it's right next to the official that's down low because of where their respective focus is and what they're watching at the time. It's not always the guy closest to the situation that has the best angle on it. So not trying to throw Cherry under the bus there. Absolutely understand where he's coming from. But it's again, it's interesting what you can see when you've got that different angle. I don't think this is a situation that we want to look at challenging or reviewing or replaying it, but just something to keep in mind <laughs> as folks are criticizing the officials that they don't have the same viewpoint that we do. We have the benefit of replay. We have the benefit of camera angles. So keep that in mind. Josh, I'm I'm thinking that if people don't want more review of penalties, there is no way people are agreeing to face-off reviews. <laughs> no. No, <laughs> no I, I, I don't see that coming. Okay, let's deal with a couple of big hits. One of them, as the rule book is written right now, is defined legal. The other is illegal. So let's look at the illegal hit of Jordan Eberly from the Seattle Kraken, who ran Andrew Cogliano of the Colorado Avalanche into the boards. The result of the play was a minor penalty. I do not know how this decision came about because the NHL, of course, employs the cone of silence. This, though, seems to be an example of you have to try to define what the penalty is, the severity, and in a sense, you have to, to judge intent here. And that's part of the difficulty. But it sure seemed to me, especially knowing the injury afterwards that Cogliano suffered, should have been more than a two-minute minor. Yeah, this one, regardless of, of what you're looking at or what you're seeing on the play, Eberly is hitting a defenseless player into the boards. I, I did not understand how this isn't a major penalty for boarding, even to call the major penalty and take a look and make sure we're getting it right here. But to to have this go down as a minor penalty, I was absolutely surprised. I thought for sure Everly was going to sit for five and, and 
get ejected from the game because you're getting a game misconduct on that when you have an injury to the head of an opposing player. So I thought for sure this was going to be major. I was absolutely surprised that that didn't work out that way. That looked like a clear-cut major penalty hit. If I were making a textbook video to explain the penalty, this hit would be an example, Todd. Well, and and again, so I know that the the officials on the ice and the Department of Player Safety are two separate silos of the National Hockey League. But it would seem to me that afterwards, I don't understand why there wasn't a suspension similar to the Kale McCarr hit on Jared McCann. It, it was deserving of a suspension. And I could see Eberle should have been suspended here as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it seemed like one of those situations. And I know player safety likes to give us explanations for reasons that a player did get suspended. But this would be one of them that I think it would be valuable to understand why they chose not to suspend a player. What made this not rise to the level of supplemental discipline? Because it looked like, again, a a major penalty. It looked like I would be thinking a game or two at minimum here, especially in the playoffs, for this hit. Uh, Clearly, to me, an illegal hit and one that I thought was, was a foregone conclusion that something was going to be coming down only to find that the league opted not to. Injury suffered is also one of the items they take into consideration for a supplemental discipline. They do. Now, to put it in perspective, they only consider that after they look at the initial hit. So player safety will look at the play and say, is this a suspendable offense? And was this hit worthy of a suspension? If they determine that it is, then they consider the player's history. Then they consider an injury or what the outcome was on the play. So for them to factor it in at all, the first thing they have to raise that flag on is, was this hit worthy of a suspension? And it's apparent that they felt it was not. And we continue to scratch our heads a little bit on that one. All right. The other hit, of course, that got the great deal of attention involves Jacob Truba of the New York Rangers and Timo Meyer of the New Jersey Devils. We have seen these kinds of absolutely thundering hits before. Is it a good hit? Is it a bad hit? Is it an illegal hit? Is it a predatory hit? Should it be an illegal hit? Okay, we can have those discussions, but currently in the NHL rule book right now, this is a legal hit because some contact to the head is legal when you are following through on a legal body check. Did I make that as clear as mud or what? (laughs) You are absolutely correct. It's not like the IIHF where we have any head contact that is automatically a penalty. Remember, Rule 48 is around illegal checks to the head. The implication being that there are some checks to the head that are legal or there are some circumstances where a check to the head is legal. And there are two criteria that apply to the Truba hit on Meyer. The first is whether the player attempted to hit squarely through the opponent's body and the head was not picked. So in this case... We don't have Truba sticking an elbow out to clip a guy's head, or we don't have him raising up and making his shoulder drive into an opponent's head. You have him going straight through the body. So when Truba's looking to deliver the hit, he's not picking the head. He's going for a legal body check right through Meyer's body. And the second part, and that's what created the head contact, is whether Meyer's body position contributed to the head contact on the play. Now, he doesn't really change his position leading into it. He does crouch down a little bit lower But because he's leading with the head there, that makes head contact unavoidable on what would otherwise be a legal body check. So I think those are the two criteria that the league looked at. That's what the officials looked at. That's what player safety looked at. And I think the key part of it is when we talk about things that are avoidable, of course, the hit is avoidable. Every hit is avoidable. Right. But this is a player who's eligible to be checked and an opposing player who is attempting to deliver a legal body check. So it's not whether or not the hit was avoidable that player safety and the officials are looking at. It's whether the head contact was unavoidable on what would otherwise be a legal body check. So 
that's where you get Meyer's body position. That's where you get him leaning forward and Truba standing. I, I guess he crouches a little bit to to deliver the hit, but he's much taller, his shoulders a little bit higher. I think that's where you're looking at the body position. That's where you're looking at what Truba's trying to do. Yes, he's trying to blow him up. He's trying to take him out of the play. He's trying to deliver a hit. He's trying to do it legally. And under the current rule book, he did. So it seems to me that after watching this legal hit under the current defined rules of the National Hockey League and hearing the comments afterwards from players, from coaches, from fans and and other stakeholders, it it's sort of to me, this sort of signifies what the difficulty is, is right now we have a great deal of difficulty because it's open to interpretation of what a penalty is. My interpretation is different from yours, Josh, which is different from the next person's. And right now, that is the the difficulty. So if we show one play to a group of 12 different people, we are potentially getting 12 different interpretations. Notice I chose 12 because that's a number in a jury. (laughs) 12 different interpretations of what is a legal and illegal hit. Some would find the Jacob Truba hit absolutely 100% fine. Others would be completely the opposite direction. So I think this is where part of the frustration comes in. And I think this is the the difficulty that we have right now. I don't think it's as much a problem as we have with officiating, though you can always be better. There are there the standard response whenever anyone in the league questions officiating is, well, we have the best officials in the world and they get the majority of the calls right. 100%, no one is disagreeing with that but we can always do better and improve. What we have, I believe, is a perception problem. And right now, it is the perception is that there's an issue with officials and it's bad and it needs to be uh, a, a wholesale change needs to be made. I don't believe that's true, but I do believe that we can get better And I think we need to focus on how we can get better. I'm not saying that the league has to declare, that's it, we're having a summit on officiating and we're going to fix everything because that's never going to happen. But I do think it's a discussion worth having is how can we make it better? How can we improve? And it should be something that that is at the forefront and they should be transparent about. Absolutely. And what you mentioned it, Todd, of, of having folks look at it, these are the kinds of things that happen at the general manager's meetings that the league does is they show hits and they talk about types of plays and situations, especially when they're considering a rule change to say, let's talk about these hits. Let's all view these and let's see, did we think this was a legal hit or not a legal hit? And obviously, like you said, you get some differing opinions there. Now, the board of governors, the general managers, I would say probably a more conservative, traditionalist bunch when it comes to how hockey's played. I think a lot of them, <laughs> a lot of them <laughs> might favor that, you know, that old time physical play. You know, how many of them, if they looked at the Truba Meyer hit, how many of them would have ruled that this should have been a legal hit and how many would say that it shouldn't have? But I think that the knee jerk reaction, like you said, is everybody's blaming the officials. And if it's the right call on the Truba Meyer hit and we feel like it shouldn't be, then don't don't take that out on the officials. Like you said, let's let's look at Does this rule need to be written differently? Do all the rules need to be written differently? Is there a better way that we can have a standard or an understanding of what situations should and shouldn't be handled in a certain way? And what types of hits that are legal today, do we not want them to be legal? Is it is it that there was an injury? Is it that there was any head contact? And those types of things require the Board of Governors. You'll want the Players Association on board, the Competition Committee. So it's not an easy process, but I think it's one that would probably go a long way towards 
addressing what people's concerns are, because then instead of pointing a finger at the officials, you can actually look at the rule book, which that, that was my thought, Todd, on this hit was, yeah. if you don't like the hit, it's because of the rule. It's not because of how the officials interpreted it. But you're right. There's so many different ways to do it, and so much gray area in the rule book that how do you make sure everyone is on the same page, not only in the player safety room and not only in the officials room, but then you have broadcasters, fans, general managers and players. And I, I'm sure that they are not on the same page. That is part of the difficulty. And our good friend Sean McIndoe at The Athletic has a piece up on, uh, on right now on officiating. And it is a very deep dive looking at what's a minor, what's a major, what's a match and how it varies depending on the offense. It is a very complicated document that he tries to dissect and, and gives you a lot of good information there. Yeah, it was a, a great deep dive by McIndoe, especially around looking at two, looking at five. And then you have to consider, too, when you've got a major penalty or a match penalty, those are going to vary by the types of calls you have. So we've added the ability for the officials to review majors and match penalties. But depending on which one you've called, you can review a match and reduce it to a minor, but you can't rescind the call completely. However, on a major penalty, you can rescind it. But then some match penalties don't have other provisions. So you really have to know what you're calling, especially when you have one of those hits where it's a charge from behind with the puck not there and the player hits the boards and he makes contact with the head. So what is it? Charging? Illegal check to the head? Hitting from behind? Boarding? What, what are we going with on the call here? Interference? Because they're all on the table as an option. And the officials have one second. Or the officials have that snap second to make the decision on what am I calling on this play and what level is it at? So read Sean's piece on The Athletic to to really get deep into the differences and what that impact means on, you know, it's not just a major or minor, but you have to look at what the call is, the circumstances. It's a it's a lot. It's a lot to process. It absolutely is. I'll give uh, one other recommendation as well. The NHL agent Alan Walsh has his own podcast, Agent Provocateur, which which is the best yes. name for for an Alan Walsh podcast. Also has some he has some very harsh words uh, about officiating and the reasons for part of the difficulty. Some interesting recommendations. Um, it, it's worth a listen. I don't necessarily agree with all of it, but again, having and here's the 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 part that I like is that. We're having you and I are having a discussion and others are having a discussion. Let's not simply fan the flames by adding more fuel or having venomous tweets or social posts and frustrations. That's not helping the process. If you want to be better, let's have positive suggestions and figure out if we do this, maybe we can get better. I think that's a more proactive and a better way to look at it. It absolutely is. And the more we talk about it, the more things that get thrown out there are suggested, especially if it's looking actively on fixing things or addressing things. Even Greg Wyshynski's post at ESPN around how to fix officiating. You might not agree with some of the things in there, but let's look at solutions on how we can improve what's happening on the ice. Let's have an opportunity to fix the rule book or to fix what the officials can see or sight lines or whatever the challenges are. Let's not throw these guys under the bus. You mentioned earlier, Todd, that the NHL officials are, are often touted as being the best in the world. I won't disagree with that. We just need to give them better tools and a better rule book. And they're not against your team. Get in the box. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Scouting the Refs. Email the show at heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. Okay. That's, uh, nicely done. That's good work.